Yes, Dr. Dawkins, most religion at its root, yes, and not just in its most hijacked and perverse forms, most religion is just ridiculous, superstitious, a power play, destructive, hypocritical, hate-spawning, anti-intellectual, intellectually dishonest, racist, sexist, thieving, offensive, just plain bad. You're right. And not only are you keen to that fact, but we are laughing out loud with you and crying out loud with you about it. And churches, we are the least of all exempt from having to answer for this fount of idolatry and stupidity. Last week, we saw that the blood was on our hands because we have been dishonest by jettisoning what we believe. And this week, the bloodstains become evident as we trivialize what we've even managed to hold on to anyway. Thanks for listening to Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Welcome back to Sinners and Saints. Adam Kalustian here again, pastor of Ontario United Reformed Church, Ontario, California, with co-host Moses Jambazian of Pasadena United Reformed Church in Pasadena, California, and John Sattel, pastor of All Saints Reformed Church in the city of Walnut, California. We are very glad that you are with us. We've come to show number two in our series, Responding to Richard Dawkins and his book, The God Delusion, and really atheism in general, as it's uh, represented well in a very entertaining and well-written book. We are going to continue to affirm, that might surprise you, affirm a lot of the things that Dawkins is saying in the book. Really what we're looking to do on this show is agree that a lot of religious faith is just wrong. We have no problem affirming that. And then we'll move on to show that a lot of so-called Christianity is wrong and not Christianity at all. Yeah, we're not here to just defend religion in the abstract or theism in the abstract. We believe in one God, the triune God revealed in Scripture. And so we do affirm with Richard Dawkins, and in fact with all atheists, that most of the religious teachings that they've heard and most religions are false. And that, in fact, they are not simply false as in wrong information, but that they are actually destructive to the human spirit and destructive to all things good. Of course, we can critique different religions. We'll actually point out some of them, like Hinduism, for example. Here's a religion in which 95% or more of the people who practice it are considered dirt, untouchable, unworthy of being around those who are better than themselves. In fact, to this day in modern India... There are people who must not even walk where others who are better than them have walked. If they're to even cross the paths of someone, they must remove their shoes. It completely demeans humans. It completely demeans those made in the image of God. And for Dawkins or anyone else, for us to look upon such a religion and say, this is absolutely horrible because it destroys people. That is the right thing to say. And so just because someone is attacking and claiming to be an atheist and going after false belief, we shouldn't just automatically dismiss them. Look at what their argument is. See what they say, which is true, and affirm that so that you can actually engage them in legitimate discussion, but also so that you can get rid of false thoughts that you may have about what is good and what is bad. 
Okay, so the main point we're going to make, first of all, is that most religion is bad, all right? And people are idiots. And they'll fall for anything and believe in almost anything, and really not just almost anything, but they'll believe in anything. A great example of this is the cargo cults of Pacific Melanesia and New Guinea, of which uh, Richard Dawkins speaks. He talks about white immigrants that come to the islands here, including administrators, soldiers, and missionaries, all right? The islanders notice when these white people get there that they enjoy many wonders that were never made uh, available to these islanders themselves. When, I'm quoting here, when articles needed repairing, they were sent away and new articles kept arriving as cargo in ships or later in planes. And no white man on the island was ever seen to make or repair anything, nor indeed did they do anything that could be recognized as useful work of any kind. Right, They sat behind a desk, shuffling papers, and that was obviously to the islanders some kind of religious devotion. Evidently, then, the cargo must be of supernatural origin. And as if in corroboration of this, the white men did do certain things that can only have been ritual ceremonies. And he's quoting here from David Attenborough's Quest in Paradise. Quote, they built tall masts with wires attached to them. They sat listening to small boxes that glow with light and emit curious noises and strangled voices. They persuade the local people to dress up in identical clothes and march them up and down, and it would hardly be possible to de devise a more useless occupation than that. And then the native realizes that he has stumbled on the answer to the mystery. It is these incomprehensible actions that are the rituals employed by the white men to persuade the gods to send the cargo. And if the native wants the cargo, then he too must do these things. And Dawkins talks about how it's fascinating that at different places, independent of the other places, cargo cults sprung up. And whatever experience they saw a white man sitting behind a desk and doing, they would replicate and they would think that the gods would then send them cargo. And then developing out of this was an elaborate system in uh, many of these places uh, of a religion. And Dawkins' point is, don't you see how stupid man is to believe that the supernatural is connected just because he can't explain something? And he attributes all of religious faith to that. Now listen, we look at the cargo cults and we look at various false religions and say, yes, they are all wrong. And they are all people attributing to God something that they cannot explain merely. When really, once they have a little bit more information, they will have figured it out. Our explanation from that, however, is different from Dawkins. We think that people are fundamentally idolatrous. I mean, all of the false religion, all of the susceptibility to stupid inferences from unknown facts are simply a reflection of a heart that has rebelled against God. That's how we explain all this false religion. That's why we can join hands with Richard Dawkins and critique all this stuff for just being paltry and superstitious. I don't think it's it's necessary for us to spend time, you know, detailing all of the superstitious paganistic religions which have obvious explanations in engendering, you know, hatred and racism and sexism and and power plays and the rest of it. You know, the point that we really want to make on this show is that, you know, aside from all of the false religions out in the world that we would join hands with Dawkins and say are clearly can be explained through idolatry and personal agendas and uh, power plays, we want to point to the church, <laughs> professing Christian people, and show that, you know, it is true. We agree with Dawkins that they are doing exactly the same thing that false religions are doing, and it discredits in the public's eye, and certainly in Dawkins' eye, and I can understand it, 
the Christian religious faith. And one reason why we need to attack this is because Christians should know better. It's not surprising when people who are ignorant, ill-informed, have been steeped in religious superstitions for centuries upon centuries and even millennia, follow the same stupid, mindless, irrational religions. But when people who have written Revelation in front of them, profess to be Christians, have an entire history of uh, creedal formations, uh, reflection from people who are thinking deeply upon the Scripture, end up twisting, disfiguring, and perverting the Christian religion, either for personal gain or because they're trying to build bigger institutions or church buildings or uh, whatever, that's when we really ought to be uh, angered and join with even Dawkins to uh, expose the folly of these uh, so-called Christians because they bring uh, far more damage and harm to the Christian faith than anything that they could do that would positively promote it. And one of the churches that obviously receives a lot of criticism and, and finger-pointing here from Dawkins is Catholicism. He had a very interesting uh, quote. He says it's a, especially a Roman Catholic branch of Christianity that pushes its recurrent flirtation with polytheism towards runaway inflation. <laughs> very, one of the more pithy lines in the book. Obviously, you know what he's talking about, you know, when they multiply saints with holy powers and all the superstition that's involved in in the worst parts of Catholicism, it's easy to see how this is a terrible, perverse distortion of the Christian message. Let me quote Dawkins here. The Catholic Community Forum helpfully lists 5,120 saints together with their areas of expertise, which include abdominal pains, abuse victims, anorexia, arms dealers, blacksmiths, broken bones, bomb technicians, and bowel disorders to venture no further than... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to venture no further than the bees. And we must not forget the four choirs of angelic hosts arrayed in nine orders, seraphim, cherubim, thrones, dominions, virtues, powers, principalities, archangels, head of all hosts, and just plain old angels, including our closest friends, the ever-watchful guardian angels. What impresses me, Dawkins says, about the Catholic mythology is partly its tasteless kitsch, but mostly the airy nonchalance with which these people make up the details as they go along. It is just shamelessly invented. I continue to quote, Pope John Paul II created more saints than all his predecessors of the past several centuries put together. And he had a special affinity with the Virgin Mary. See, now we look at this, all right, so-called Christians, and this is just paganism and stupid and idolatrous. And if, if you can't see that, I mean, it's fascinating to me. I had never even thought of it this way, but to show that, it becomes all the more easy for the critiques of the Christian faith to lump Christianity with polytheism when in practice that's exactly what Roman Catholicism is. Yeah, and I know that a lot of you who are listening to us being you know, more of a Protestant bent are going to say, yeah, of course we can agree with all the criticisms of the Roman Church, but keep in mind, you often will wind up with a knee-jerk reaction defending anybody who claims to be evangelical or Protestant when they do the same foolish things. One of the greatest embarrassments to Christianity is TBN oh. and all the stuff that they do. And yet I have heard Christians defend this nonsense with the idea of, well, you know, at least the gospel's going forth as if God did not already ordained a means for the gospel to go forth, which is the clear preaching of the word as opposed to the shtick that these guys do. I've had people uh, get mad at me because I have referenced TBN explicitly and said that this is harmful, it's anti-Christian, it subverts the Christian faith altogether, and you should not listen to this channel at all, watch any of its programs, or listen to any of its keynote speakers. I've had people come up to me and reprove me and admonish me. These are Reformed people saying, well, at least the gospel is getting out through this program. 
Yeah, and they're completely missing the point that these guys are actually unbelievers, blaspheming the name of God. They are playing a game. They're collecting money. And what on earth makes you believe that these people have in any way the interests of God's glory and heart? So when Dawkins comes forward and he says that, no, these guys are fools, and when the atheists or unbelievers that you're friends with mock Christianity— Part of it is because you're defending these idiots. Well, it is so easy to mock all the shams and the stupidity done in the name of religion. Another, uh, This is Protestant religion, by the way, and this was an article that was featured in LATimes.com uh, not very long ago, and it's critiquing this whole new movement that it's called, uh, the, the title of the article is called Manliness is Next to uh, Godliness, and the movement is the Godmen. And they're a bunch of chest-beating men who get out and they have uh, revivals out in the wilderness around campfires and they play paintball for the weekend. And they sing songs such as, you're not a slave, break the chains, we've had enough, cowboy up in Jesus' name. And uh, <laughs> it's notable for the profanity, the X-rated language, the, the crotch-grabbing that the, that the leaders of this movement do while they're up talking to people. And this is thought to be the key to reviving American evangelical Christianity, and their argument is true, is that the church has become so feminized that men don't want to be there. On an average Sunday, 60% of the pews are filled with women because men are sick of singing love songs to Jesus and holding hands and singing kumbaya. But the answer to it is not more stupidity or shallowness or juvenile tactics by these overgrown men who uh, apparently never got over locker room humor or whatever, and this is stupid. And the, Christianity is so full of this today in, in America because it's being treated as a product that is consumed, therefore needs to be marketed. He talks about this obsessive hate of homosexuals and this obsessive uh, hate of aborticide doctors. Now, you know us well enough to know that we have no place in tolerating the sin of homosexuality. We have no place for tolerating the sin of of abortions. But it is fascinating to me that you find, oh, yes, you find in the Christian church people using the name of Christ and and doing just ridiculous things and becoming obsessed with persecuting a particular brand of sinners in different ways. I mean, he talks about the the website godhatesfags.com. He's talking about <laughs> Pastor Fred uh, Pastor Fred Phelps. Fag-hater Phillips, yeah. Pastor Fred Phelps of the Westboro Baptist Church, another strong preacher, I'm quoting here with an obsessive dislike of homosexuals. <laughs> When Martin Luther King's widow died, Pastor Fred <laughs> organized a picket of her funeral proclaiming, quote, God hates fags and fag enablers. Ergo, God hates Coretta Scott King and is now tormenting her with fire and brimstone where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched and the smoke of her torment ascends up forever and ever. Now, it's easy to write, quote, it's easy, I'm continuing to quote, it's easy to write Fred Phelps off as a nut, Dawkins says, but he has plenty of support from people and their money. According to his own website, Phelps has organized 22,000 anti-homosexual demonstrations since 91. That's an average of one every four days in the USA, Canada, Jordan, and Iraq, displaying such slogans as, thank God for AIDS. A a particularly charming feature of his website is the automated tally of a number of days a particular named deceased homosexual has been burning in hell. Now think about that. Is that Christianity? Well, a lot of people who say that they're Christians, a lot of people who are funding these guys— We'll say absolutely it's Christianity. And we don't see that there's any difference between that and the other false religions, the power plays, the hate-mongering, the hate-spawning uh, faith that uh, people have. 
And uh, the church has got to wake up and stop acting so inconsistent with its profession. It would really be useful to the Christian church and the Christian message if Christians actually would go back to the scripture, seek to understand what God has said, and really try to mold their own lives and the church to conform to the teachings of scripture. Yes, Christians should call sin, sin. But at the same time, we're not supposed to delight in the death of sinners. We're even told in Scripture that God does not delight in the death of sinners. So how on earth are we reflecting the image of Christ our Savior to do such things? Yes, these criticisms are legitimate when they are brought against us. When they say that, yeah, you guys need to stop defending fools like this, yes, we should agree with them and say, yes, you're absolutely correct. These men are fools. What they're doing is unchristian and unbiblical. That would allow us to get rid of basically to jettison all this useless stuff and get to the real core issue. Does God exist? That's really what the atheist is arguing. And he's saying, based on the witness of his children, I would say that if he does exist, I don't want to have any part of him. But certainly, if he does exist, he certainly would not allow you to be out there. So why don't we just affirm, yes, these things are bad. Let's get back to the core. Let's get back to the real things that matter, which is the glories of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Yeah, but, you know, on the other hand, Dawkins is, is so full of this. Again, it's so easy to take on the most gross, perverse, idiotic, stupid examples and make it sound like, well, that's just what Christianity is. And sure, in contemporary evangelicalism, there is a lot of goofiness and there is much to attack. But it really isn't, uh, it is not fair and it's also not a very penetrating or insightful critique of Christianity, I don't think, to attack the low-water mark of Christianity. And the book is full of this. It's easy to, to make fun of the Pat Robertsons and the Jerry Falwells and the Ted Haggards and then say, see, this is what Christianity produces, so it must be inane and dumb and ridiculous to follow. But the fact of the matter is, is that there is also a vast segment of Christianity, maybe not as much today as we'd like, but certainly historically of, a, of what we would call a more high-water mark of Christianity that isn't full of all of this nonsensical, idolatrous, self-promoting, a shameless kind of behavior and thinking. And I think that it would have been more fair for him and it also maybe would have gained him a little bit wider hearing for his book if he would have taken on maybe some more intelligent examples of Christianity as well. So I think it's fair to at least just say that. He really does make fun of the stupidest parts of Christianity, which which we would all agree with. Right. Well, and uh, speaking of stupidest parts, I think we would be uh, remiss if we did not mention the great prayer experiment that Heat calls to task. I mean, this is amazing. So you get this group of Christians together who wants to set up an experiment that will prove that God is real because he answers prayer, right? So they come to a, a number of patients, and they, may, they divide them into two groups. One is the control group, and one is the real group. And half the people will be prayed for diligently by a number of professing Christian people, and the other half won't be prayed for. They won't know about the fact that they're being prayed for. They will be treated equally by doctors. And these Christians, right— expect that the facts will come out that there was more recovery happening for those who were prayed for than those who were not. Now, what happened? Well, yeah, it didn't work, right? And so now Dawkins is not uh, foolish enough to say, oh, that just that in and of itself proves that God doesn't exist. He's just pointing out how people will... <laughs> 
will believe anything they want to believe. They will come up with ideas to uh, support anything. And when it doesn't work out, of course, you don't hear anything about it, right? Now, can you imagine if, and he points out, and I agree, if, if somehow, uh, and I believe most likely for other factors, people in the group that was prayed for actually had a higher rate of healing. Can you imagine the publications that would be a sound coming pouring out of the churches saying, oh, there's now proof that people who have uh, been prayed for do better? This is just stupid. Yeah, but, All of this uh, stuff. And see, I don't know, John. Yeah. I mean, you're right. To be fair, of course, and you'll see this in the coming weeks, all right, we do not believe – I mean, I, I don't believe that, that Dawkins is going to engage – a thoroughgoing Christian worldview because he can't. No. All right. No, so I agree with you there. He, he doesn't have arguments against true Christianity. But I just want to emphasize again, church, it's your fault, okay? It's your fault well, that he's able to have okay. so much fodder in this book to mock our faith. When you act so stupid, what do you expect? Oh, that, that's what I was going to say here for a second, though. I mean, look, who was really attacked by the so-called prayer experiment? I think it's the kind of people who treat prayer like it's some sort of secret rabbit's foot that's going to solve a problem. It's a, it's a, in, in some ways, I think many look at uh, praying for people when they're sick as if it's the super superstitious yeah. uh, um, cure-all kind of secret potion thing. And you it's know, the we same thing. It's the same thing. Way, though. It's the same thing as doing a rain dance yeah, to these people. It really yeah. doesn't affect my faith to know that they did this massive prayer experiment and actually the people got prayed for <laughs> were worse off and had more complications than the people were prayed for. We don't pray for people when they're sick or hospitalized or going through surgery for a cure-all thing, a secret uh, operation. We pray that God's will would be done. We pray for them so that they would have the spiritual strength to undergo it. We don't always, we don't believe that God's going to heal everybody that gets prayed for. And so it doesn't really affect our faith. And I think what he does though is he just t- shows again and again by this example and so many others, that it's very easy to attack and poke fun of people who have um, irrational, ill-thought-out faith, and they treat prayer as another lucky charm kind of things, but we don't look at it that way. So it's, it, like you say, yeah, it, it's not all, he doesn't hang all of his attack on it, but it's just another anecdotal evidence of the kind of uh, ineptitude and moronic way people look at their faith and present Christianity. So I'll give you that. Yeah, right. And it, it, it does have a critique to it at some point. But. Right. And maybe, I guess maybe somebody could legitimately be wondering, well, why are you joining hands with him in this? Well, see, here's the thing. I, I don't think that anybody's helping anyone else's, anybody's helping the Christian cause by not speaking out with Dawkins strongly against this kind of nonsense. I mean, yeah, in one sense, we can dismiss all of this stupidity and superstition and idolatry and polytheism in the name of Christian monotheism, right, by the, the people who are actually doing these radical forms. But but the, the real subversive thing is the moderate, so-called, who will not speak out strongly against this stuff. That's the stuff that really irks me. I mean, we should see it. Our business, Moses used the term in the last show of, of cleaning up our own act, cleaning house a little bit. I mean, we should be more outspoken as the church against false forms of religion, and especially false forms of Christianity. You know, when you allow this stuff to go on, when you support it with your money, when you sort of compromise and say, well, it's okay. You know, John mentioned TBN. People, well, you know, these guys say some of the truth, and so we have to sort of embrace some of it. No, you got to call it out and label it for what it is, which is offensive to God in Christ and has nothing to do with the Christian religion. Yeah, but one reason why we don't here, and you need to understand this, is because 
for most of the 20th century, Christians uh, of an evangelical stripe were able to tolerate each other, even though they had vastly different understandings of the Christian faith and different distinctives, because we built evangelical unity upon the concept of an inerrant scripture. And as long as you held to an inspired inerrant scripture and and some of their basic fundamentals, then you were uh, allowed to be a part of the club. And what happened is, is we sort of had a truce, uh, made a truce where we agreed not to really attack each other. Although, really, it didn't happen that way because there were plenty of uh, mean-spirited people who did attack other people because they didn't hold their particular brand. But it, it, it sort of created a climate, or at least made it conducive for us to really not pick out these really extreme faith practices, if you will, and point them out as nonsensical, and not only nonsensical, but just flat damaging to the whole Christian message. And and now we're at the point that even the people who are conservative have been so inoculated by this stuff that they are afraid to be critical of anybody who claims that they have a Bible they believe and a Jesus that saves. And that is not the Christianity nor the Reformed faith which is confessed by our churches. Yet we're completely unwilling to be critical in a way that we should be to expose this this stuff so that people be warned against it. Yeah, the new law is don't be critical of anything. I mean, it's even in my thinking. This just what you when you said that, John, it made me think of how. I mean, face it, you don't hear Christian critiques of Christianity, for example, like you hear on this show on a regular basis. Why? Because the new law is be nice. You know, and somehow if you ever critique any sacred cow or question the foundations of it, then all of a sudden people just uh, think that you're seeking to bring in hate and you're being judgmental. And um, certainly you're, you're going to not then present a united front against our enemies. Our point is, if you don't do this, you're presenting a false front to our enemies and you're setting yourself up for these attacks which do gain a hearing with a lot of people. And part of it also has to do with Dawkins' critique of the irrationality of a lot of people who claim to have faith. Because their faith is not founded on the truth of Scripture, on the really the, the facts that God has revealed, therefore they are afraid to question somebody else's definition of their own faith. So anybody can come along, and I've actually heard a testimony of a man who said that there was a lottery being held at his workplace and at a Christmas party, and he really wanted to get a DVD player. And so he prayed to God, God, if you're real, let me have the DVD player. And he won the DVD player. And since then, he's been a Christian. So, of course, no one is able to tell this man, you're an idiot. Because their faith is founded on something even less quite often. And so if he comes along and he says, I prayed to God and God gave it to me, therefore God is real. Well, what about the other three guys who prayed the same prayer and didn't get it? This is the kind of real asinine way of looking at God that we really need to not only critique, but we have to attack vigorously and tell people, no, go back and consider, has God spoken? Does God exist? Like, these are things that really should be wrestled with. And if we don't, we keep on doing things and reproducing the same errors, experience, and practices, which end up making the Christian faith a mockery 
and they make it less credible in the eyes of people who we actually want to witness to because then you want to talk to them and say, well, I'm a Christian, I believe in this. And, and they think you're about as credible as the guy who claimed that he just got abducted by uh, a flying saucer because of all the stupid things that are being done in the name of the Christian faith. So we really do have to take this seriously and start policing ourselves and those who name the name of Christ and all the things that they want to do because it really is undermining the credibility of our own witness. Quoting from Dawkins, one of the cleverer and more mature of my undergraduate contemporaries who was deeply religious went camping in the Scottish Isles. In the middle of the night, he and his girlfriend were woken in their tent by the voice of the devil, Satan himself. There could be no possible doubt. The voice was in every sense diabolical. My friend would never forget this horrifying experience, and it was one of the factors that later drove him to be ordained. My youthful self was impressed with this story, and I recounted it to a gathering of zoologists relaxing in the Rose and Crown Inn in Oxford. Two of them happened to be experienced ornithologists, and they roared with laughter. Manx Shearwater, they shouted in delight and chorus. One of them added that the diabolical shrieks and cackles of this species have earned it in various parts of the world and in various languages the local nickname Devil Bird. <laughs> so this guy has an experience of a, of a sinister-sounding bird and therefore concludes from it and bases his faith on the existence of God and Satan because he so, supposedly heard this voice of the devil speaking to him. Don't you see how stupid this makes us look? And don't you see how it's important for us to speak out against this kind of thing? And against this, um, you know, using personal experience as the basis for these vast and radical claims that we are making about the truth of the Christian faith and of the Christian religion? Again, don't get us wrong. We do believe we have objective uh, standards. We do believe we have justification, and we'll get into that in the coming weeks, for the radical and vast claims of the Christian faith that we do hold dear, and the truth of the Scripture, and the truth of God's existence. But these certainly are not them. And when we allow this to go on, or when we uh, purport these things themselves, we're just really fighting against ourselves. Well, uh, to add to this, what about the 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 cultural traditions and even ancient pagan traditions, which we've baptized in the church now and made into religious holidays? And now we do it in such a shameless, unbelievable way. You know, it's Christmas time of the year, so there's going to be some seasonal component as a part of the, what we're thinking here. But I'm just driving along the freeway the other day, and I come past this church, and it has a great, big, enormous banner hanging up so you can see it from about a mile away. Happy birthday, Jesus. Now, first of all, we've talked about this before in this program, how Christianity, how Christmas is so steeped and rooted in uh ancient paganism and in the cyclical cycles of nature and almost certainly Jesus was not born on December 25th and okay so fine the church sets aside a day to remember the birth of Jesus but uh, all the pagan overtones uh, that maybe once may have even been suppressed and I don't know where they were certainly now are not they're emerging through they're busting through the seams it's commercialized and everything but then you have this the people trivializing it too with these stupid banners saying happy birthday Jesus it just makes a mockery out of uh, out of the Christian church and its witness. Okay, so here's the point, Christians. A, stop acting like idiots. Stop acting like pagans. Stop promoting your religion for superstitious reasons, for power plays. Stop promoting destruction and hate. Stop being hypocrites. Stop being anti-intellectual and intellectually dishonest. Stop promoting your racism and sexism and picking out a verse here and there to prove that. 
Stop being so offensive and just plain bad. Okay, when you do that, you're just embarrassing the Christian faith and you're making it easy. You're, you're creating the straw men, really, for Dawkins and other atheists to attack. You're not helping anything. And not only that, stop doing it yourself, but start critiquing and start refusing to accept inconsistent, wrong forms of Christianity, of religion. It's not the most important thing for you to be nice. It's the most important thing for you to be true. Be right and speak the truth in love so that we do not set ourselves up for critiques against things that we really don't believe that are not at the core of our faith, really are perversions of our faith. The blood is on our hands, yes. We are responsible to some degree in opening ourselves to these scathing, biting attacks that are represented by Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion. Now, we'll move on in the rest of this series to get at the core of what Dawkins is saying and show how he is just as false and vile as any false religion. Thanks for listening to Sinners and Saints. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge.